You're listening to Spinning Around with Hailey Minogue on Area 3000. Welcome back. It's Spinning Around on Area 3000, and thank you to Bria for joining me this Arvo for a chat and a mix. We've got another fantastic guest tonight to close out the show, and he's a friend of mine from the beginning of COVID, so you know we're in for a fun one. Thank you to Paul and Elusa for supporting this show via Patreon. My next guest is a Sydney man with many medals of honour as the promotions manager of Your Army, label coordinator for Gallery Rex, and label coordinator and founder of underground imprint Eclectic. Since Eclectic's humble beginnings around five years ago, this individual, alongside a crew of trusted friends, successfully grew the brand from the ground up with a mixed series that now houses 81 incredible up-and-comers including Tangela, Wax Lily, Sam Alfred, Xander, Luke Liberati, and Willow, and nine rock-solid releases on the Eclectic label including four VA compilations and five smashing solo releases. He's organized a slew of fantastic events and live streams as well under the moniker, culminating into their first international booking with Fort Romeo coming up in May. Now that's the kind of hustle that brings a joyful tear to my eye. As an instrumental part of the infamous Gallery Rex as well, he can proudly put his name on many credits with Pins and Pels, Pretty Girl, Reno, Roy Blues, Lex Deluxe, James Pepper, Tom Bruce, Caitlin Medcalf, Human Movement, and Shut the Front Door, there's many, many more. As a friend, he's been integral to my introduction into the local scene, providing sage advice for last year's alumni compilation and supporting me during my days with extended family. If there ever was a list of gatekeepers in the electronic music industry, I will fight anyone that attempts to scroll his name on that list to the fucking death. It's such a pleasure to be chatting to him tonight, folks. My guest is none other than the founder of Eclectic, Jack Ferris. Hey, Jack, welcome to the show. How are you going, man? I'm awesome. Thank you, Jay. Well, but I mean, I listen to it every week and you hear people say, well, I don't really, can't really, when you, when you say things like that. You really kind of, when you put it all together like that, it's like, wow, I, I've done a couple of things, I guess. Man, you, you, you do a lot. You do a lot. And and I, I am actually surprised that you feel doubtful about how much you do. Does it ever feel like it's not enough? I mean, I think that's always my my issue is it's like there's it's never enough. And like I was saying to you before, I'm unfortunately my own worst critic. But I mean, maybe that's what like a driving factor for me. You know, maybe that's something that keeps me going is I'm always striving for something. You know, I'm never sort of happy or settled with where I'm at currently. So Now, that is that is a very good mindset to have if you're trying to do a lot and be <laughs> successful in whatever it is that you're passionate about. But it's also a life of suffering. It is. Unfortunately, <laughs> because- like I say, it's like too many hats, not enough necks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not enough necks here, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, but hey, this has been a long time coming. Uh, Man, we've-, we've been uh, yeah. in this together uh, ever since I suppose the start of COVID when um, I was first starting all that extended family stuff. It is weird seeing both of us in the positions that we are two years down the line. I mean, you've done a shitload and it's always inspired me looking at what you've been doing. Uh, so I got to ask you, how do you feel about where I'm at now compared to where I was two years ago? I mean, you said weird, but in a, in a way, it's it's like it's awesome to see. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I, there's nothing I appreciate more more than hustle and seeing other people who are motivated and passionate, you know, shine through and succeed. So, uh, you know, I absolutely adore what you're doing. I adore everything that you've done, and I have no doubt you're going to be doing a lot more in the future, man. <laughs> if I do any more, <laughs> my head will probably fucking explode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How um? How's your shoulder? 
Um, because I know that you went into surgery recently. What's been going on there? No, so it was it was my back. I mean, it may as well be my shoulder. Yeah, I'm twenty six going on eighty, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I could probably talk a whole hour about that, but I, I won't bore you. I mean, like I've been struggling with this back pain, which is no, you know, no unusual thing these days mm-hmm. with people. But I was struggling with it for about sort of sixteen months, and it kind of just kept deteriorating to a point where. You know, the last sort of six months of last year, I spent, you know, 16 hours a day in 10 out of 10 pain. Um, wow. And I think for- fortunately we we're in lockdown. So it was a lot more bearable to just sort of be lying down doing nothing, knowing that no one else was doing anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if it was like now, now that things are sort of starting to open up again, I think it would have been a, a lot more of a test and I probably would have gone into a deeper, darker place, to be honest. But look, 2022, I had the surgery on the 13th of Jan, so I'm like seven weeks out now and it's looking good. I got no pain. I mean, I still got a long way to go with, with physio and stuff, uh-huh. but it's nothing but positive vibes now. But what yeah. what, what happened? So, so I know that you gave me the rundown like uh, this was a while ago, like I think mm. maybe at the end of last year. But remind me again, what what was actually wrong with your back? So I had a, a herniated disc and an annular tear in my L4, L5, oh, which like geez. I said, you know, from what I've learned is like not an unusual injury. Like my physio was telling me that they reckon, I mean, we're not in that age bracket yet, mm. but just to show you how many people actually have the issue, they reckon that 80% of people over the age of 40 have herniated discs. But you don't get any symptoms unless it's pushing on nerves or pressing into somewhere where it shouldn't be. So, you know, you could have a herniated disc and not have any pain and you can get on with your life normally. But if you have a herniated disc and it's pushing on nerves or pushing on your spinal cord or anything like that, that's when it starts to get a little bit dicey and you start getting pain and it can be a downward heel spiral from there. So, yeah, it was hectic. Yeah, I, I can only imagine being in 10 out of 10 pain for 16 hours of a day. That's It was hectic. It was, it was, a, a, it, you know, a lot of perspective, you know, not until I was quite a, you know, go get them sort of a fit and active dude in my younger years and, you know, not really having any care in the world about injury. And then when you go from that to being debilitated, to not being able to do anything you enjoy or love, simply being able to like walk to your car or like walk to the shops, mm. it's like a, a lot of perspective, you know, don't take things for granted. I don't take my physical health for granted, which, you know, I'm looking at it and I think it's a good thing now. Like, you know, I've come out the other side and got a whole new outlook on keeping myself fit and healthy, which is, I think, a good thing. Well, you, you weren't before? I mean, I think in a different way, maybe just like not as much care, you know, I was maybe just a bit too lax and just kind of like, oh, I'm fit and healthy, you know, taking it for granted, but, yeah, yeah. you know, underlying no real sort of care. And then now it's like, you know, I wake up and do a morning ritual and do my stretches, and I'm like having bone broth every morning, oh, and like doing all, nice. yeah, man, <laughs> doing all this, doing doing all this sort of little extra stuff that I probably wouldn't have done unless I had the injury. So yeah, it, well, I mean, there's nothing like, like you said, like um, getting that perspective to really uh, reshift and recenter your focus onto the fact that these bodies that we have are actually so fragile. They're so fragile. They are. I mean, yeah, we can, they can take a pounding, but at the same time, like internally, they can just combust like nothing else, honestly. Oh, big um, time. Did they put you on uh, that good old morphine uh, after yeah. the surgery? Tell yeah, me I mean, I, um, <laughs> I came out of the surgery and was obviously a little bit sort of loopy and I don't really remember much, but I remember like being in a bit of pain, but maybe not being in as much pain as warranting how much I was sort of asking for because I was like, you know, I'm, uh, only, yeah. <laughs> I'm only in hospital once. I may as well sort of, you know, get it, get it, yeah, get just it. just push it, push it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, they, they dose you up with all of the good stuff after you leave um, and, you know, you're on that stuff for a couple of weeks. But, I mean, even that in itself was a little bit scary because you can even see how, like, 
you know, after sort of two weeks of taking it, you can see how people sort of start to get dependent on it and like, oh, yeah. oh it's wild. It's wild. Yeah, how, how did you go with it? Like, how were you feeling uh, towards like the tail end of your treatment? I I think it wasn't too bad for me. I mean, I, I felt like quite easily gave it up because I had this newfound like physical body where I was like, oh, my God, I can lie down and not be in pain. Oh, my God, I can like walk around the block and not be in pain. So I was like quick to dodge that and just yeah. go go for the thing that I hadn't had for so many months, you know? Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, well, it's good to know that you're um, at the very least feeling a lot better now. Uh, in terms of what you've been doing, it doesn't even seem like that you've been in and out of surgery, honestly, because you recently just released uh, Willow's Pastime. And that EP, can I say, firstly, great selection of artists. You really know how to pick them, honestly. Uh, secondly... Well done on the success of all this. I mean, the premieres, great channels, the um, Spotify playlist uh, placements as well. It's obvious that, you know, there's you're doing something right. There's a recipe to what you're doing and it's working out for you. How do you feel about all that? It's oh, Thank you, man. Firstly, I, I mean, it's the whole sort of situation with the willow thing has been a bit of a um a bit of a whirlwind to be quite honest i mean i've known Liv for for sort of like five to to six years now and you know she's been djing around sydney for a a long time and you know she's obviously doing a lot of production stuff on the side and she's been she used to be in a band called apricot inc which were in like the indie sort of you know poppy kind of bandy sort of realm and she was playing Um, bass was she and she was playing bass for them and doing a lot of their sort of production stuff. And then I think, you know, that really rubbed off on her dance productions because she put up a story like a couple of months ago. It was probably like midway through last year and it was just like a demo or like, you know, just the screen grab of the the Ableton session. And I just messaged her. I was like, yo, what, what the hell is this? And she's like, yeah, that's mine. I've got some demos. And I was like, oh, I'd be super stoked to listen to them. And she sent them through and I was a collection of sort of you know, four to six tracks and I was listening to them and I was just like, holy shit, like you have been working. And then was obviously just like, you know, have you ever considered releasing this? And we obviously went through all the formalities and she was super on board with it. And yeah, like I guess nothing really changed insofar as what I was doing with the Willow release. I mean, I think as every release has gone on, I've probably taken something from the past one and been like, "Mm, okay, I can be a little bit more prepared in that area or or that Mm. area. So no doubt there was some sort of like change or tinkering done in terms of like the pre-production sort of setup and whatnot. But I mean, I, you know, I, I wholly reckon it's, it's the music that's done the speaking, you know, I guess I've just put it in the hands of the right people and, you yeah. know, they really, really resonated with it and it's just kind of just continued to snowball. So yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to see. And, you know, I've obviously started working with Liv in a, in a management um sort of capacity now as well and you know she's just recently signed to proxy and we're having all of these massive conversations with you know future classic and soothsayer and you know, all of these people and places and things that i would never have even thought i would be ch- talking to at this point in time but <laughs> it's been great it's been it's been a lot of learning but it, it's been great and i'm you know super excited for for Liv's future it's going to be very very bright you know this yeah you're absolutely right it does sound like a fucking whirlwind so how are you keeping abreast of all this i mean You've got so much on your plate. Like, it, it must be kind of overwhelming a little bit. It is super overwhelming. And I think the last sort of month with this release has really kind of been like, okay, wow, this, it, you know, if I don't stay on top of things, this things can kind of quickly spiral out of control. And I sort of feel, start to feel a little bit more overwhelmed. So I've got myself this thing called like a little passion planner. Oh. Um, shout, shout out Tisha, you know, T S H A. No, I do not. Shout out Tisha. And and shout out Anna Luno. Anna Luno also has a um, 
a podcast called Create Destroy and she kind of interviews artists on their, you know, creative capacity and like how they kind of get into their groove and whatnot. And I was listening to this on a road, a podcast that she did with Tisha on a road trip recently. And she mentioned like, you know, same sort of conversation was just like, how do you stay on top of things? And she's like, oh, I got this thing called a passion plan. And I was just like, passion plan. Right. <laughs> so researched it online. And it's just this like, I guess like fundamentally it's a diary, but it works more than just a diary. Like before you even start getting into the nitty gritty of, I guess, what the diary is, they get you to like put your goals in like a three month, a six month, a year and five year sort of plan. And they get you to do like a mind map. And then, yeah, it's just basically just like breaking it all down and putting it all onto paper, which right. is something that I've in the last, well, I guess this start of this year have been doing a lot more of. So I think me feeling overwhelmed has kind of lessened in a way that because it's all on paper now, I can see it. Whereas in the oh. past, I feel like it was all just jumbled up in my head yep. and it was a bit all over the place. So yeah, now it's good. It's great. You got a, you got a whiteboard at home? Those things are amazing for cluttered minds. I know. I sh- maybe I should get one. Put your put your whole passion planner on a giant whiteboard or a black, get a blackboard ah. installed in your home. Let's do it. I feel it. like my my silly mind would just end up just doodling all over it and there wouldn't be anything pr- productive on there. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of doodles, um, are those some new tats? Some new tats? These are, are oh. some, some new tats. I mean, in the process of finishing a whole sleeve, which is finally. exciting. Yes. Yes, finally. I was meant to get it finished in at the end of January, but unfortunately the whole surgery situation threw it out of whack. But uh-huh. look, health is wealth. Health comes first. I can get it finished halfway through this year. You're going to get double sleeve? You want to? No, no, no. Oh, I'm gonna okay. go. I think I'm. I think I'm gonna go to the leg next. Continue Ooh, on the leg. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Yes. Um. Yeah. I've heard that. Uh. Yeah. Once you start, you can't really stop. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's a. It's a. It's. It's an addiction. You know. You get one little one on your wrist, and you. You look at it. You look at it. You're like, oh, this is great. All right. What am I gonna get next? And then <laughs> I've gone from just getting little ones on my wrist to some some writing, and then now it's gone to a full sleeve. So it's a slippery slope. Do you feel like um that's kind of what happened with you and starting this whole eclectic thing? I think so. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, I I think I have quite an addictive personality. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, both in a good way and a bad way. But the eclectic thing is definitely an addiction. And, you know, I think that's why I've kind of stuck at it for so long now. It's just like I just not only do I enjoy doing it, but I mean, I enjoy supporting local artists and local creatives. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that's at the core core of the ethos. Well, what was the very first thing that you did with Eclectic? So, I mean, shout out Harley, my brother. Um, Good old Harley. He was was dabbling in mixing, um, and this is in our, like, early on in our, like, trap lord phase. Um, You know, we were were mixing a lot of, like, Keishinata, Sam Uh, Gellatry, you know, Hans, and a lot of those artists. And we had, like, a little tractor controller at home. Um, and he was sort of playing around and then I kind of was like, oh, this is really cool. And then, you know, coincidentally over like a, a short period of time, um, I saw like a lot of my other friends dabbling in, you know, music production or, or DJing or, or graphic design. And, you know, though I felt like there was this like, m- you know, no man's land between like artists, grassroots artists and sort of like, you know, getting a platform to, you know, put their work on. And mm. then, you know, the higher sort of platforms that kind of seem so far out of reach. Yeah. So I was like, I guess... Someone like me who doesn't really have much of a creative capacity insofar as like making music or making art, I was like, well, why don't I start a platform that tries to nurture this and tries to support people and tries to give like an open platform, um, yeah, for them to kind of put their work on freely. And that's where the idea of Eclectic came because, you know, Eclectic is just drawing from a diverse range of sources. 
Um, and yeah, it just kind of started with like, you know, we f- housed the first mix, which was Harley throwing down the Trap Lord vibes. And then it just kind of, we just started initially just featuring friends, featuring friends, and then featuring friends of friends. And then I guess I got more comfortable with the idea of reaching out to non-friends of friends. And then, yeah, it's just kind of continued, continued spiraling along from there to the point where it is today. So Harley was the reason why all of this started. He was, he was, a, he, I guess, one of the, one of the reasons. Yes. I mean, shout out also like Brucey, Tom Bruce, shout oh, out also Ma- Maxi, Maxi Cozy, all yes. those boys, all those guys, man. They're um, great, not only great people, but, but great artists. Well, so when did they sort of come on board? Was it really from the beginning or was it just you and Harley at the beginning? Yeah, from the beginning. So, I mean, I had, uh, you know, Maxi on board doing artwork from basically from the get go. He's done all of our compilation, all of our artwork from the get go. And then obviously Brucey as well. He released on our first um, VA compilation and then has released on the Invitational, um, another one that we did a little bit later in the timeline. So, yeah, those guys and a shout out also another one, Valency, Mo Foster. Um, he's been there since since the beginning and he's obviously he's been a massive reason for the taste of music that I've had today as well, which yes. is interesting. Well, which is great. it's been five years since that all started, right? Like, um, you've had a like, like I said in the intro before, you've had a lot of events, you've had a lot of releases as well. If you had to think back to when you first started all this, and then look at what you've got now, would you believe it? Like, would you believe that you're doing what you're doing now, or have you always sort of had this in your mind? Like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan that. I'm doing that. I I don't think I ever thought it would get to the point of where it's at now. I mean, I always knew that it was something that I sort of wanted to have like as like a lifelong labor of love sort of situation. But I, you know, I guess I just, yeah, I never saw it getting to the point where it is now, where now I've, you know, got connections with interstate DJs and Mm. I guess, you know, sort of like underground international DJs that we kind of have relationships and service music to. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's like I said, it's, it's interesting to, to, to take a step back for a second and see where it is. But then at the same time, it's like nice to give yourself a bit of a pat on the back every now and then. And I guess yeah. also nice to see that the core ethos of where Eclectic started still hasn't changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fundamentally, it's still doing the same thing. It just has a much larger capacity, which is which is great. Well, one of the things that I really like about what you do, and I believe that this was... Uh, Eben, uh, shout out Alexander. Eben, shout out you. You are one of the homies. One of the homies, indeed. A fantastic, lovely human being. I think he was telling me about um, the way that you approach eclectic and how you sort of work around uh, not only music but also the art as well. And I really admire this approach because I haven't really heard about anybody else doing it. This might just be because I'm new to the label game, but the <clears> thing <throat> is, is that like for anybody that doesn't know, um, from what I understand, you give the visual artists the same amount of attention uh and you know work as you would with the actual musical artists themselves so like Mm -hmm. you're making sure that you're sticking by um visual artists that you know uh, have been around for the longest time i know that obviously you're working with uh the infamous maxi cozy um for a lot of the graphic design as well and the art um it's it's lovely to hear that because i think often visual art can be such a such an afterthought for a lot of labels, mm. um, including myself. Like mm-hmm. I, I'll admit, like I haven't been uh, up until quite recently. I, I haven't been very thoughtful about it. Mm. But it's nice to know that you've got that approach. Like, w- w- why was it that you wanted to do that? Well, I mean, I think art, art to me is as much of a visual thing as it is a you know a listening experience. So I you know wanted to highlight both 
graphics and art within the same sort of package. So mm. my kind of outlook on was it was, you know, I would work equally, you know, the sort of same way that I do with the music artists as I do as a graphic artist. So with our mix series, instead of someone just got like, you know, getting a stock standard, um, you know, template, which is not bad, not bad at all. Yeah. I was just like, I wanted to give artists like and invite them on and do a series. So a series consists of 10 mixes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the artist basically creates some sort of like motif or theme um, and kind of runs with that over a 10 piece series. Um, nice. Which I've heard, you know, from the artwork, from the artist perspective, like in my mind, I was like, that's, a, you know, obviously a really, I felt like a really good theme because I believe yeah. that, you know, when you have no restriction um, and you give the artist full creative control, that's like what yields the best outcomes. Mm. But I've heard since it's like, it could also be quite daunting when you just go to a visual artist. <laughs> Hey, yeah, just make a 10 artist art series on anything you want. It's like <laughs> super daunting. Just like, where the fuck do I even start? You know? So I feel like some artists, obviously, and within reason, like to work within some sort of brief. So in the past, you know, can obviously bounce off ideas off each other and work within some sort of brief. I know, I know, Eben definitely would have freaked out. As soon as you said, yes. give me 10 pieces, yeah. he would have been like, oh my God. Oh, but man, I mean, I, his series is just. Un- it's so believable good. and it's like it's we're only three about to drop the third artwork like there's still seven more to come and it's just oh. he's he, he like the thing with even is he just he doesn't doesn't understand how good he is at what he does right he doesn't get it he doesn't <laughs> he's the only person in this whole fucking scene that doesn't get he how doesn't. good he is i'm just always, always <laughs> tapping on his back being like come on hello <laughs> <Yeah>. come on <laughs> have some have some self-esteem yeah, yeah. you're amazing exactly, exactly. um the, the uh, that being said though speaking about art there is one uh piece of art that's come out of the that's come out of the eclectic releases that I I've, I've wanted to talk to you about, oh, but I never really knew whether whether it was appropriate or not. And it probably just speaks to how stupid my well, how immature my mind is. Uh, Coral Coral Road, yeah, which is such a fucking tongue, tongue twister of a title track, big time. Yeah, personal growth, also big love, personal growth. Hope you're listening in. There. Shout out Dan, shout out Dan. Uh, the album artwork kind of looks like a penis. <laughs> it kind of looks like a penis, like a really hairy penis. I know it's meant to be Coral. Right, but it's just so phallically shaped. And I looked at it, and I was like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> Penis pose. Are you sure yeah, you yeah, want to yeah, do yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> was that Maxi? Was that his it, work? Well, so yeah, that that that's the thing with with that artwork was kind of like we just went with a you know that was obviously like a little bit more of a sort of a stock template oh, than right. what we're what what we're using with the artwork moving forward with Willow, um, and obviously with the name of the 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 ep being coral road i wanted like the center artwork to sort of relate to what the name of the ep was Mm. so like you know luke's momentum ep was sort of like a homage to kobe bryant so that was like a basketball court and then eben's was straight ute dancing so we had like that ute that was on fire yes and then coral road made a lot of sense and because it's technically like art we had to use a stock image uh-huh. so <laughs> we tried to we went deep me and maxi went deep into the depths of stock image coral photos and we found the most dick looking like one and that's where we got it <laughs> oh shit well look um i think it would have grabbed a lot of people's attention so you know great work in the marketing um i know i know that we can't ever ask uh label founders or label coordinators to uh pick their favorites because it's like picking your favorite child. Mm. But talk to me. Who's the favorite? Oh, you got four out there. I mean, I might be biased and say my brother. 
to be quite honest. And maybe that's just because oh. I see him work. I mean, we haven't even done a release with him. Uh-huh. But I guess I just see him working so tirelessly at his computer and he obviously, you know, bouncing demos off me and hearing everything that he's producing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he's got a very, very bright future ahead of him. Um, but, you know, I guess wink, wink, spinning around, wink, wink. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Um, <laughs> so, however, though, I know that you've got something new coming out in the works uh a potentially a new ep how much can you talk about it is it secret uh yeah, I, no no not not secret at all i mean so i mean i'll just spill the beans it's Please. um uh sydney local by the name of end in tears caleb is an absolute machine um yes. we've been talking for for a couple of months now he, he shot me through this ep and it's unbelievable so of course i was gonna jump on board and help him with that ep and then we were kind of chatting about remix targets and obviously Queen Caitlin Medcalf came to mind. Um, oh, she's yes. obviously, you know, someone I look up to so much in the Sydney scene here and she's done so much for the Sydney scene here. So reached out to her and, you know, she was more than on board um, for jumping on a remix and it's mm-hmm. turned out absolutely superb. Um, yes. And then obviously Liv's jumping, up on, jumping back on board and doing a remix as well. So... All together, it's a, a very tight little package that we're looking to release um, at, by the end of sort of the first single, maybe end of March, start of April situation. So not too far away. So you've got all the all the masters and everything. Masters are in, artworks are in. I'm just in the process of moving over and working with another, another distributor. So there's like this just limbo mm-hmm. land where I can't really get anything up on any sort of platform at the moment. But right. you know, that, that's all right. I want to make sure that's rock solid before moving forward with anything. Well. Look, maybe this is something that uh, I could get a little bit of sage advice from you on. And I think anybody that has their own label that's looking to do releases is probably going to benefit from this as well. Mm. Um, You said you're moving over to a different distributor. Mm. In terms of distribution, it's a little bit of a shady area for a lot of people because we don't really know necessarily, not everyone knows who's best to work with, right? Mm. So like with distribution, what do you think, people should be looking out for if they're going to be working with them long term over like a a slew of releases i mean first things first is do your research because there are so many sort of aggregators out there like you know your cd baby your distro kid and Mm -hmm. um they all kind of cater towards different things like some have some things and some have don't have other things so i guess it's like not only do your research but then i guess understand what you want to get from the release and where you want to get it to yeah um is something that you should be doing your research on because yeah like i said some do some things and some do other other some some do some <laughs> things and others don't do it so uh-huh. you know i've worked with distro kid in the past and then realized that i didn't do enough research you know as you do when you're learning yeah. and the quickly kind of outgrew that and so i've kind of I wouldn't recommend it. Jumped across a, a number of different distributors, mm. um, but yeah, it can be difficult. It's a, it's quite a daunting sort of situation to get into because you obviously want to, you know, be doing your artists and their art justice, and you want to be doing it correctly. So I guess, yeah, my piece of advice is, yeah, draw out your little passion plan and mind map of <laughs> what you want to be doing with the release and where you want to be getting it and how you want to do it and then do your research on a distributor that is going to be able to cater to what you want and then work with, yeah. work with a distributor that has a customer service team or a customer service rep or a label rep that you can work with and like bounce ideas off because 
you know, you ultimately will run into some sort of issue where you may not be able to figure out what the hell's going on. Google may not be able to help you. So having someone that's not a frequently asked questions bot that you can kind of <laughs> go, hey, I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you help me? And they'll quickly, quickly, swiftly response. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. We'll keep that in mind from here on. So people do your research. I hope that's valuable. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Fucking, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've been working with DistroKid for like releases in a previous life. And mm-hmm. uh, to be honest, I think very much like you, like I just didn't really know exactly like what if there were any better alternatives for what I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. But whereas now, I think now that things are starting to ramp up with spinning around, yeah, we're going to get real serious. I'm going to research Beautiful. like a motherfucker. And I think that that's also the beauty of it, you know what I mean? There's also like a beauty in the fact that, you know, there is so much opportunity and there it is so easy to kind of, well, like not easy, but, you know, there. I guess, yeah, it is so easy for you to kind of get your stuff up on Spotify now. Mm. That, that I guess there, there is a beauty in that, but I guess there's also the flip side of the coin that it's kind of very oversaturated as well, which yeah. you know, is a whole, whole other sort of situation. Uh, speaking of Spotify, speaking of Spotify, I got to ask you, because I've said this in a previous interview before, uh, Gallery Rex, is it true that mm-hmm. you guys are in bed with Spotify? That's the reason why you can get on all these editorial playlists. Or is it just because you have banger tunes? <laughs> Not I mean, I, I like to think it's the banging tunes, but yeah. I think, that the, the, and it definitely is. No, it definitely is the banging tunes, right? It is, oh, okay, it is the okay. Tunes. We'll just make sure but that's in there. <laughs> the thing, the thing with Spotify is, and I think the thing with all of those DSPs is, at the end of the day, it is a business. So hmm. you know, I think, like especially with this Willow situation, is like you know, you get added to one playlist, and then you start tracking some numbers, and that gets the attention of Spotify. Then they put you into three more playlists, and then you start getting more numbers, and they kind of keep feeding the beast yeah so i think that's the situation of kind of what's happening with galleries like not only is it banging releases but you know we've i guess got a reputation with the label now across with spotify that i guess they trust us for good electronic music and we've got a good relationship with the spotify rep here in australia amelia shout out amelia shout out amelia um who yeah it just really does the does the release on our up on dsps which is great and i mean i think you know the tipping point for gallery was the pretty girl release like that mm, is just you know yeah. sun phase <clears throat> sun phase now is it nearly a million streams which is just a million I mean, oh it's God. the biggest the biggest you know project i've been involved in like obviously i've worked with um angus who is the founder of of um of gallery records and mm-hmm. i guess my um my mentor in this whole sort of situation and it's not you know he's obviously worked with a lot of artists who are racking up millions of streams so i guess for him it's it's nice to see but you know i'm there going like holy shit a million <laughs> streams and he's just like yeah well we can get more you know what do you yeah. mean yeah. <laughs> want to get a coffee it's another day in the come office. on man exactly yeah. exactly um i know that you're also doing a bit of management um, with Gallery Rex, it, like mm. I'm assuming that a lot of what you're learning at Gallery Rex, you're taking over to Eclectic as well, so that you can, um, you know, just get the most out of what you're what you're learning too. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like I've learned so much, like in my time with Gallery, you know, by learning from someone like Angus, who was very much started exactly like me, interning, doing small things, running this, running that, and you know, jumped around from internship to internship, working for free, doing this, and absorbing everything that he could, and now starting, you know, his own label that, you know, obviously with COVID is not kind of where he's wanted it to be, but, yeah. you know, back on the horse at, at it this year. And then, you know, he obviously works as a publicist for Sweat It Out, uh, oh. which are another big sort of uh, 
you know, dance label up here in Sydney. So he's also someone that wears a lot of hats and is always hustling. So yeah, I can definitely say that I've learned a lot of him and learned a lot of my time at gallery and that's kind of translated over into eclectic for sure. You, you said that both of you have been, you know, working for free a lot. How long do you mm. reckon you've been working for free? I I only just got paid the first time last week in the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Really? Yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, my God. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you get, you know, you make a sort of a little bit of money here and there on like, I guess, yeah. events and stuff like that. But, you know, all of it just goes straight back into the the ethos that is the label and kind of then you're obviously you know paying royalties and stuff like that which up until the willow release i haven't really had to do you know i obviously work on like Mm -hmm. a a recoupable cost sort of situation so i try and make sure like i said because it's a situation of me not really making much money out of it i try and sort of cover my own costs um so the artist makes the money once i've recouped all of the costs um Mm -hmm. involved i mean obviously I pay for the the mastering and most of the artwork sort of situation, but things like you know premieres and press and stuff like that. If that's a, if there's a fee involved, that's a recoupable cost. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, up until last week was probably the first time I saw a paycheck from the from the music industry. But look, that's not well, doesn't doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me. I think if you get into the music industry with the uh, you know the goal of making money, you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you had to. Let, let let's brainstorm for a little second let's do right? it let, let's let's put your mind to the test here because you've been in this game for a while now if you had to try and think of a strategy to make as much money as you could with the resources that you have right now aka gallery rex aka your new job at um your army and with eclectic what would you do how would you make the most money i think and be able to have fun with it as well Hmm. Fun. Look, if you want to make a lot of money, you got to sacrifice a little fun. I think. Yeah. Uh, let's let's say that uh, you can't have. Well, you don't have to have fun. Fun is not a prerequisite. Fuck. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was I was gonna say some sort of like make some sort of you know viral TikTok channel that's just like I don't know like taking the piss and <laughs> somehow incorporating the music mm. and then. I don't know. It's a tough one because, yeah. I mean, I also think that, you know, you know without sounding like elitist or, or, or digging on, on genres, I guess you could also maybe sort of like sack the whole underground music situation and maybe go into a, a realm of music that's maybe a little bit more profitable. But mm-hmm. then I guess maybe for, for my taste, I maybe wouldn't enjoy it as much. So, yeah, I don't know. It, that's, a, that's, a, that's You've really thrown me off with that question. No, honestly, I think um, viral TikTok music... Is the way to make good man- money right now. Well, it's- I don't know if you've seen the whole um, lewd down under situation. No, what's going on there? So there's a drum and bass producer out of Sydney called Lewd, and um, you know he started in the trap realm as well, mm-hmm. like a long time ago, just making sort of like trap bootlegs and um, kind of rebranded into doing drum and bass and makes awesome drum and bass. And he his manager, who I also work with. Um, alongside with Willow, his name's Gabe, and he was telling me that, you know, Gabe was trying to get, you know, lewd on TikTok because it's, you know, quickly becoming a super, super valuable tool for for artists. Mm. Just saying, man, you know, you need to you need to get on TikTok. You need to get on TikTok. And he was obviously like super reluctant because, you know, I, you know, he didn't want to take himself seriously and I guess just didn't want to put up the content. Anyway, he got around to it and just started, you know, putting up sort of just like gimmicky sort of videos and made this, you know, men at work down under bootleg that went viral on tiktok and then the label 
sweated out was like, okay, well, there's this is interesting because we should try to get this sample cleared. Like if it's going viral on TikTok, surely that can translate into Spotify numbers or DSP yeah. numbers and that kind of thing. So they ended getting the ended up getting the um, sample cleared from Colin Hay at Men at Work, and uh-huh. then fast forward two months to release, and it's one of the biggest electronic tracks in the world. He's getting eight million monthly streams. It's sitting on like fifty five million streams in a couple of months. He's got like licensing deals worldwide. He's doing what? international tours. Like it's just like that just shows the power of TikTok, man, or social now, media. Now like, that you mention it, I I think I do remember. Uh, Going, going and checking out Spotify charts. Ah, it feels like such a dirty thing to say. Um, <laughs> and I was checking out Spotify charts and I do remember seeing a Men at Work uh, drum and bass yep. remix. That was That's it. it. I think it, it's, it's like it's sitting in like number eight or something in the UK charts of like every genre. Like it's sitting next to like Billie Eilish and like Kid Leroy and like you know, all of those kind of more sort of commercially pop artists, which obviously are going to be doing the numbers. And then you've just got this like, you know, sort of smaller drum and bass artist remixing a, a cult Australian classic. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden he's a bloody worldwide superstar. Crazy. I think. Uh, which is also like what I was going to say without interrupting. Yeah, no, like, please. The, the positive of Spotify and is just like I guess there's the Willow thing as well, which is like there's obviously the cons of Spotify. Of course, like, of course, you know, of they're course. Not yeah, which we can go, obviously go into it at a later date. But then you, the wonders of Spotify for an artist like that, it's just like he's gone from a bedroom producer to a worldwide sensation, purely not purely from Spotify, but obviously Spotify, like I said, fed that fuel of like they added into all of these sort of playlists, and mm. it's just kind of continued spiraling out of control. And now he's just like a, it's crazy. Yeah, look. <clears throat> I, I totally see what you're coming where you're coming from there. There, there are cons to Spotify, and definitely, a definitely. lot of a lot of people have been talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. Look, I'm not I'm not going to talk about the most recent thing, but I think the probably the biggest thing right now is just talking about the royalties. But um, do you think? And I want to see what you think about this from a label perspective. Mm. Do you think that it's worth you know putting music and releasing and distributing it to Spotify? Um, and using Spotify as a tool, despite it uh, quite famously gouging a lot of artists for royalties and such, it's such a it's it's such a tough question because I think if you if you removed all of the negativity and all of the shitty things that Spotify are doing, then absolutely because it's such a valuable tool or can be such a valuable tool for like artist reach and like I guess getting the music into the ears of people that may not hear it otherwise. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess there's also the beauty of not putting it on Spotify and not supporting the devil like that and, you know, I guess feeding the fuel. But, you know. Ugh. But the devil makes your money, man. The devil's yeah, swimming but I mean, in money. But the, the, the devil doesn't even make you money because, you know, no one's making money off Spotify unless you're Fisher you no, know, but- or unless you're <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's like you're not even making money off Spotify, but it's just like, it's just such a valuable, can be such a valuable tool for artist growth or label growth or, you know, getting eyes on the work that would maybe see it otherwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people out there that probably wouldn't agree, but that's just how it goes. Doing this um, music thing, right? I think it's quite easy for me to overlook the fact that you yourself actually 
you know, have come from a background of enjoying music and doing music as well. Because, you know, when when we're working, you know, back in things like like running labels or um, running radio shows or doing this or that or whatever, it's it, it, it's easy to forget that you know we're music lovers as well. So let me take it right back. What was the first song? And I love asking this question because I just see people's eyes brighten up. Um, what was the very first song in your entire life that just completely changed it? That you just realized that music is the best fucking thing in the world? I mean, this is going to be a very niche, niche reference. I don't think anyone is probably going to get it and shout out if they do. But going back to this, the artist that I mentioned, Valency, Mo mm-hmm. Foster, um, I used to go, his parents used to like, as like babysit me on uh, on a Friday afternoon and I would always used to go there and I would, you know, I was still in primary school and he's six, seven years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was an avid hard, hard style, hard dance oh. fiend back in the day. Yes. And um, collected it all on vinyl who, fortunately, I've got the whole collection now. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> so, but I remember going over to his house on one Friday afternoon and going downstairs. They had this like little sort of dungeon set up where they had like you know the computer and the decks. And at the time, it was wasn't the pioneer stuff. He had the two turntables, mm-hmm. and he played this one track called Dozer, the Legacy. Dozer, the Legacy. Go look it up. Dozer, the Legacy, and it's probably the greatest hardstyle track of all time. And really, I guess was the sort of tipping point in my like, holy shit, electronic music is a thing, and it's something that I like. Growing up, I was surrounded by a lot of the, you know, the classics like the In Excess, Eric Clapton, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Police and all that kind of stuff. You know, parents were avid music fans and it was always on at dinner parties and always on and that kind of thing. Yep. But yeah, I think that was that one moment where I was just like, my gosh, I have a music taste too and it's something <laughs> that I can explore. And then, man, that year five, year six period in primary school, just delving into the depths of YouTube. Yes. Just yes. finding the most obscure hard dance that i could find <laughs> and here i am it's kind of fested into like now i listen to gabber and, and hardcore and whatnot so yeah <laughs> can you still can you still shuffle i could never shuffle i could never and i never got the fat pants because i felt like you could oh, only get on. you could only get fat pants if you knew how to shuffle so but i was ne- could, i was always you- on the, i was always on the outskirts how watching, you, admi- admiring how could you be such an avid lover of hard style and hard dance and not learn how to shuffle that was such an integral part of the art form. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, I just I would just watch it on YouTube. I watched Jack Jack Forty K doing oh, the Melbourne yes. the Melbourne the Melbourne Shuffle at the little Melbourne meetups there at Federation Square. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just wishing and praying that one day I would be a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, and I never got there. One day I'll be there. <laughs> one day, <laughs> a small small little Jack. But um, <laughs> I remember the first song that I can remember from that hard style era was. Um, my friend showed me a shuffle video of uh, someone shuffling to Superstar DJ. Oh, is it Superstar DJ? Superstar. D is the Superstar DJ. Yes. <laughs> that is such a banger. I 
pivotal change. If if someone pulled that out at the end of their set at a festival, I would probably lose. I might die. Absolutely. It's between between that and that the colors of the hardest style, which oh. is that show tech show tech show tune. Tech. I think those are like yes. the two the two hardest style tunes that I think every single person knows. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes. But you but you were the expert. You were the person that knew all the obscure hard style. But what do you think? Uh, yeah. What do you think about hard style nowadays? Because it's so different to what it used to be. So different. I mean, I think also my taste has evolved a lot more. And I think obviously, yeah, the, the nature of hard style of what it is has changed so much. I mean, I don't I'm not really much of a fan of it now these days because I feel like it's gone to a lot more of like a you know, more of like a cinematic experience. Mm. You know, you listen to it and it's like, you know, two minutes of a track before you hear any sort of kick or any sort of or any sort of snare yep. or any sort of ag- aggressive noise, and then you have two minutes of breakdown in between it, and then you've got about thirty seconds of kick, and it's like this isn't hard dance. This yep. is bloody movie music, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, still absolutely adore it. But I think it's more just on as my taste is, you know, I guess grown. I guess my BPM preference has also grown. So I don't really listen to much hard dance now. That's probably less than. 150 well i guess hard style is 150 but mm-hmm. i guess anything up 150 what, what was the last song well sorry what is the most memorable song uh in your life that you have had an emotional experience to something something where you've like <sighs> listened to it and you've been just bawling your eyes out another niche maybe reference was an artist called Artie zara you remember that whole ziz phase yeah of course so yeah yeah, yeah. so he he used to put up these like I don't even know if it was him or if it was some kind of like fan account, but it was like some sort of like montage of him on like a webcam going like, yeah, what? Like, I forgot. Are you Myron, bro? Are you Myron, bro? <laughs> and it would like, because he was into the whole trance thing yep. and like we'd obviously see him at all the trance events and stuff like that. All of the backing music to all of those montages was like trance music. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think maybe it was probably in the same sort of time as this hard style thing on YouTube. Yeah. Found one of his compilations and there was this backing track called Artie or Zara by Artie mm-hmm. and really resonated and then fast forward a couple of years ended up seeing him play it in the club here in Sydney and was the first time I cried with that. But I mean, it has, it's definitely won't be the last time. I think that's the, the the beautiful and powerful thing about music is it really taps into the human psyche that you know a lot of different art forms probably can't. Yeah. You know? Well, a lot of people that listen to music and get really really into it. I mean, Juno Mamba, um, Vinci. Um, I was just speaking to him uh, last week, and he was telling me about the fact that he really gravitated towards music because he it made him feel safe and it made him feel like he belonged somewhere um especially in a world where like you know he was an immigrant um coming over from the philippines being in australia doesn't know what the fuck is going on what <laughs> what void is music filling in your heart mr jack ferris let's get real deep here tell me about it oh the void i i think I think it's, I'm someone that craves 
human connection and social interaction and just like, yeah, I guess connection to maybe a much higher, I guess I'm not without being spiritual, a much sort of higher being. Mm. And I think music is probably the closest thing that I've got to, to feeling that, you know, you, you go to an event and no matter what walk of life or where you come from or what age you are, you're there listening to the same music. And there's that just like, you know, unspoken connection that everyone in the room has at the same time. And everyone's experiencing the same thing, maybe not experiencing the same thing, but listening to the same music and experiencing something. So yeah. there's that like, you know, like collective, uh, yeah, a collective experience that people are sort of feeling. And I guess that's, I don't know if that's a void, but maybe that's the, I think that's the, the calling that really sort of makes me gravitate towards music and, and events and, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like um, when you, <clears throat> when you DJ uh, and you mix uh, for people, um, do you get this feeling like, you know, when you hit the right song at the right time and there's just the right people right in front of you and you just you get this overwhelming feeling of like, ah, oh, yeah, we're all right. We're all here right now. You know, we're all in this. I mean, we're sharing this moment. I mean, I'll be honest and say, I don't think I've played to a room that's had more than maybe five people and they've been my friends. So, hey, look, I mean, it doesn't have I to mean, be look, that many. Yes, I look at them and I go, we're all experiencing this together. Yes. <laughs> but hey, even, even when I'm DJing in my bedroom on my own, I, I you know, as does everyone that, um, as DJs or you know mixes music, you have those little stellar mixes, and you just take a sec, you take your headphones off, and you oh. go, "Oh shit!" Yeah, I nailed, yeah, I nailed that. Like, I should have recorded this. I nailed that. <laughs> That's always my. Yeah, and then you yeah. and then you go back and you try and replicate it, and the mix is never as good. No, yeah. it's never as good because you're in the zone, man. <laughs> exactly, you gotta get in the zone. The connection to the higher being. I told you. <laughs> uh, I, I want to uh, draw this back to something that. Um, you were saying before about having an addictive personality. Mm. Um, now, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, mm -hmm. but um, have you ever struggled with addiction to um, anything else other than eclectic and to music? Um, not, to, not to a point that um, it's been like of an alarming sort of rate or it's been something that's needed some sort of intervention, mm -hmm. but things that I have dabbled in um, – you know, and maybe things that I've dabbled in maybe too much. Yeah. I've kind of like, I can see that if I maybe, you know, took it a little step further or did a little bit more, it could sit quickly spiral into a point that would need intervention. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I definitely say of someone, I guess, who struggled with addiction and I guess maybe that's the, the, the early stages of it, mm -hmm. but not really struggled with addiction, fortunately, to a point that's really needed, like, you know, outside intervention. You know, it's, it's interesting that you can go that far um, and it doesn't even seem like that you have anything to necessarily run away from. Because, um, mm. I mean, you know, I've, I've struggled with addiction myself in a previous life and in previous lives, I guess. And, <laughs> and I think that one of the most common themes among every single one of those addictions was that I was always running from something. Mm -hmm. Like there was just something that I didn't want to think about, something I didn't want to face about either myself or the situation around me. Um, and it's, it's kind of scary and confronting when you you keep running and you keep running and you keep running and then you sort of realize like, oh yeah, like this is a fucking dead end. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm now in a position where I'm worse off than I was before when I was actually trying to run away from something. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's it's comforting to know at the very least that you'll seem to be you know based on more positive motives as opposed to negative motives um yeah well i mean you you can i think the scary thing is as well is you know maybe with with with, you know like you said like running away from things it's just like i think there have been things you know in my life that i have have run away from and i guess could be something that has has kind of fueled that addiction Mm. um but i guess you know you know i'm someone that's always working on something or needing something to, to to work on so i guess it's like having a support network of people around you that can you know support and nurture and remind you that you're you're not alone or facing these demons are not necessarily a bad thing because you know not everyone's equipped with coping mechanisms or knows how to deal with things so mm. you know yeah. i think like you just said it is very easy to run away from things and you know i'll know it all too well i'm still running away from things and i think a lot of people are so mm-hmm. yeah it, yeah it can be very 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 difficult well let me ask you then way way away at the back of this interview at this very start you know we were talking about how you're your own worst critic and you're someone that always needs to be improving on something and it's it's a continuous eternal cycle that you know might exclude you from the pleasures of self-fulfillment but what do you think drives that why do you think that you always need to be better and you always need to be perfect I I think it maybe just comes from the fact that I'm a little bit of a perfectionist as well. And mm. I just, I, I look at the things that I've done and I, I think that there's always something to improve on. But I think that's also just the fact that I feel like I'm always in a constant state of learning. So, you know, like I think something's done and I think something's done right. And then I learn something new or I get a little bit more of insight. And then I look back at that thing or that, that body of work or something that I've done and I go, oh, wow, no, that can be kind of improved upon, you know? So it's like, okay, well, next time I do that, I'm going to do it better. And it's just like this constant evolving door of just like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think things that I've done are, are good and great and, you know, have their place. And, but, you know, I still think there's so much to learn and I still feel like there's so much to, to give. So I think that's where it sort of comes from. It's just like it's 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 never good enough because I always feel like there's something to improve on. Yeah. Well, then where's the end? Like, uh, I don't think there what's... is an end. It's, it's not going to end well. I mean, like I said to you before the, before the interview, you know, I see eclectic as like or maybe all my music de- endeavors is like a lifelong labor of love. So I don't think there is an end road and i think maybe if you want to put an end road on it it's probably my grave you know mm. <laughs> as grim Damn. As, as grim as that sound that was cool jack that was so cool <laughs> oh man i got i got goosebumps man oh shit um no i'm looking forward to the day and, and we've talked about this before i'm looking forward to the day when uh we can be sitting uh sitting on our rocking chairs half demented you're half demented uh, on a porch. In a nappy. <laughs> in a nappy with, with a house just full of platinum records. You know, I've, I've, I've spoken about my, I've spoken to a couple of my friends like this. Like if I ever get to a point where I, I'm demented, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've, I've worked in a hospital setting, you know, before my sort of full-time music career sort of kicked off. So I've unfortunately got to see the very dark side of, of dementia and sort of situations like that. And it's, it's, it's incredibly sad, um, yeah. not only for the individual, but, but for the family and, and everyone involved. But, you know, there's a lot of sort of different things and sort of coping, um, I guess, like, you know, uh, 
what do you call it? Like not mechanisms, but things that they can kind of implement in a hospital or caring setting that kind of helps demented people or kind of right. can kind of spur memories on and kind of allow them to kind of, I guess, not not live a normal life, but I guess conduct themselves in a little bit more of a normal manner. And I thought mm. to myself, like, if I've got like gig, gigabytes and gigabytes of like festival and like gig footage that oh. I've told my friends that if I ever get demented, strap me to a chair, put a, put headphones on me, put some high, you know, some bloody top range headphones on me and just yeah. plop, me, plop me in front of a screen and just replay all of my gig footage. Oh. And just let me live out my days. Oh, God. That would bring a tear to my eye. That would bring yeah. a, a yeah. lot of tears to my eye. Wow. Yeah. You see those videos of like, um, you know, people with dementia like playing the piano and they just remember it. Like It's, it's wild, man. Yeah. I mean, I, you, I think, I mean, everyone can relate to that. It's just like, I mean, I think I'm someone that sort of struggles from a little bit of short-term memory loss and it's like <laughs> music is the one thing where it's like I can listen to a tune or I hear a tune on the radio or someone plays a tune that I haven't heard in 10 years and then all of a sudden I can listen to and, you know, quote every lyric and quote every little, you know, little guitar thing and it's like I haven't heard that song in 10 years yet here I am not remembering what I had for dinner two days ago. <laughs> Isn't that the weirdest thing? It's so, I mean, it obviously taps into some sort of like frontal lobe part of the brain that i don't know it's just it's hey man just, it's you're wild. the nurse you, you gotta know these things you gotta i know should know things. this i should know this back to the <laughs> back to the learning they always learning man always yeah. learning <laughs> you're gonna go study neurology after this yeah. <laughs> wait, wait 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 we touched on this a little bit but tell me about this new job you're a promotions manager for your army what's that entail what's that all yeah about? so your army um are a music promotions um organization so they started over in the uk about a decade ago um and have since moved over they've now got an office in the uk and then we've now got an office here in australia um and we're all an interconnected business but i guess australian or sorry each i guess continent works in its own way as well so like down here in australia uh we work on predominantly electronic music like it's a big wide blanket but i guess it's like predominantly electronic music and mm -hmm. other um, officers with your army, you know, they've got a radio team, they've got a sync team, they've got a, you know, a DSP team. We do, we call it a full dance service. So our Ooh. service provides, you know, you come to your army and we provide your DJ, tastemaker, radio service all under the one banner, which is great. And it's, it's, an, it's awesome because not only am I going to continue sort of expanding upon um, the knowledge that I guess I've already kind of taught myself or, or, or could have gained. I'm getting fed more music, which is just mm. the, the ultimate dream. Like, yes. just, you know, and a lot of it, you know, it, it's quite interesting because I have to, you know, take my, my preference hat off and put on like, you know, just an overarching, like what would, you know, audit certain audiences like or what right. would certain people like. So I'm, I'm finding myself listening to a lot of music that I probably wouldn't listen to in my spare time. Mm -hmm. But it's nice. Like, you know, I find myself, you know, listening to a David Getter banger and absolutely bloody <laughs> bobbing along to it. Yes, David. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. David. David, you naughty boy. <laughs> you naughty boy, David. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it, damn. It, it sounds cool, though. because um, It's great. Now you've got that international connection. You've got that London office, well, UK office, wherever it is. Yeah, it's um, in London. It's in London. Oh, excellent. Yeah. If they asked you yeah. to go, would you well, leave so, it all behind? Funnily enough, the guy that I'm replacing has actually been headhunted over to London. So, oh. I mean, there is the potential there. I mean, it's obviously 
if it if it would happen, it's fucking you know far away down the track, and I've still obviously got a lot to prove. Yeah, but maybe I don't know. I think part of me is just like, I mean, I, I've lived overseas for eight months. I did exchange in Amsterdam for for my uni degree way back when, and mm-hmm. it was great. Don't get me wrong, I, I love living in another city, but man, we're so lucky here in Australia, and I just feel like, yeah, the, I just. Australia has so much to give on a on a you know creative arts front that I just want to continue kind of contributing to and nurturing. Yeah, and you know, there's would just you so feel much- like you're betraying the the scene if you if you went? I think betraying my scene, but betraying myself a bit as well, oh. to be quite honest. Yeah, Damn, Jack, you're so yeah. fucking cool, man. Yeah, you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years time, I'll be li- you, you know I'll be living in London, or maybe I don't know. Imagine if I'm living in London and we'll look back at this and you go, "You absolutely yeah. con- you're you're a fucking con man, you are." Well, look, I mean, even if you did, honestly, I'd understand. I'd understand. Um, and I think I think you know anybody that you know talks shit about anybody, you know, trying to do something better for themselves, uh, needs to take a good hard look at themselves. Honestly, um, absolutely. But uh, look. I say that as someone that hasn't done a lot with his life, so <laughs> not yet, that. mate. Not yet. Not yet. And you have. Don't shut up, mate. You have. Well, you've done a well, lot. When are we going to do um, eclectic events over in Melbourne? When's that happening? Why? Why isn't it? Hope, hopefully. Well, I mean, there was potentially a little before before I ended up getting this job. I mean, I you know, twenty twenty one. I was going through a lot of internal battling, a lot of internal demons, and Ooh. one of those demons was. Do I even stay in the music industry? Like, obviously, I would, you know, probably, con- I would still continue sort of eclectic, but I guess try to to make it, you know, a, a full time gig. Like, I've been looking for a job in the industry for, I guess, a year and a half, and have gotten absolutely Buckley's, which is nothing new. You know, it can yeah. be quite a difficult industry to kind of break into. So there was the situation of like, do I try and pivot and try and do something completely different, or do I maybe try and make it? A thing in Melbourne. So my girlfriend and I tossed around the idea of, you know, maybe trying to live a stint down in Melbourne. Mm. Um, just mm. because, you know, Melbourne, I feel like, you know, no, no disrespect on Sydney, but I feel like a little bit more of a sort of a cultural hub. But that's not because of the people coming out of it. I feel like there are a lot more, the powers that be are a lot more supportive down in Melbourne. Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Recently, I don't know if you've heard, but, um, they're quite keen to take away a lot of the 24-hour licenses in the Melbourne CBD. No um, way. They're very keen to do it um, because it's reducing, it's it's lowering uh, property value. Um, That's the, the whole reason why the Sydney scene is, you know, I mean, cease to exist is not the right word. It is very much existing and very much thriving, but a mm. lot different than what it used to be when I turned 18. You know, we used to have... You know, King's Cross where you, there was, you know, six or seven clubs and you'd be able to bounce up between all of them in a night to like, mm. you know, you now fast forward 10 years and it's like we've got, I think, one, one I guess, fully fledged nightclub mm-hmm. and the rest are kind of just like venue spaces. And we've got awesome venue spaces, but, you know, those things aren't going every weekend and it's yeah. like, you know, we're, we've quickly and slow, you know, quickly running out of venues to be able to throw gigs like they just seem to be dropping like flies which is understandable because i mean COVID has just bore such a brunt on so many people and so many businesses but it's like i mean i guess people are turning to you know the underground and you know doing a lot more sort of pop-up raves and under the bridge raves and beach parties which is a beautiful thing in itself so like there's always a silver lining but yeah it's just such a different landscape and i hope melbourne doesn't 
do the same. Well, it just feels a bit dystopian now to kick all the parties out into the fucking outdoors. Um, that, that's just my opinion. But even, like, and even like the cops are over it. Like I've heard, you know, stories over the last couple of weeks of all of these sort of renegade raves and it's like the cops turn up to to shut it down and sometimes they leave and I guess come back in the earlier hours or even sometimes like they're like, guys, like we're only doing this because, you know, we have to. Like, and mm. you know, and instances I've heard of like police even helping people pack down these events and it's wow. like they understand they're over it they've been doing it for you know two years they're over COVID. they're over it so like yeah, i think everyone's yeah, yeah. sort of collectively on on the same page as well with it but yeah well I, I heard that um i heard that sydney uh is now putting a bit more funding into some of the existing clubs at the moment um or venue spaces um, that was just something that i heard from jebby but um I don't know how true it is. I haven't validated it for myself. There, yeah, well, I mean, the New South. I think the New South Wales government, um, obviously, you know, as much as me thinks that they struggle to see the value in these sort of institutions and cultural spaces, they are. I mean, two years later, <laughs> finally, finally injecting some money into these businesses, and they're offering grants to to venues and promoters to kind of come in and activate these spaces and. And stuff like that, which is obviously a great thing. But yeah. it's like part of me is just like fucking hell, like a little bit too late. Like we're the first industry to go, the yeah. last industry to come back. And throughout the entire thing, the one industry that's probably continued like giving people happiness and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. providing a platform for, you know, people to escape and listen to music and listen to art. And it's just like we're always the one that bloody is left on the wayside. But but Jack, I could rant all day. While, while I've got you ranting, I, I saw a story of yours. Oh God! I know what you're talking about. I know, I know you're. I know you're pissed off right now, and I want to take this further. Uh, what happened? You you went to, uh, I believe it was the Pandemonium gig, yeah, uh, run by Bizarro, Bizarro, yeah, and it was at a venue that, um, according to your story, is quite well known for its racism, bigotry, and untoward behavior. Mm-hmm. What is going on? What what venue is this? It's. Um, its name is Home Nightclub. And I hear, I just want to preface this conversation by saying, like, I'm not someone that, you know, goes out of my way to talk down on people or call out venues or call out people. But, you know, I think this was just, like, the straw that broke the camel's back. I've had many experiences at this venue and have experienced the same thing. And it was, like, you know, two years we've had these tickets and it's, like, at the first night out, in Sydney, the dance floors, you know, we had dance floors open for the first time last weekend. You know, the biggest thing that we've done in, in years. And then, you know, you have these, you know, people within the organization just like acting incredibly irrationally, unbelievably unprofessional and just ruining people's night unnecessarily with absolutely no care in the world. And it's just like this egotistical thing that, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a Sydney thing, but... You know, security guards just seem like they have, you know, very general statement. There are obviously awesome security guards out there. But more mm-hmm. often than not, it's just like seems to be like this, you know, this power trip situation. And it's just so frustrating that those are the people that literally hold your night in their hands. And it's their, you know, quick decision and their rational decision that can ruin your whole night. And like, you know, friends of mine got their ticket torn up in front of them. Whoa. For, you know, basically no reason. And these people were trying to have a adult conversation and there was none of that happening. They came back an hour later to try to have another adult conversation and they ended up getting banned from the venue. So wow. it, w- it was really quite triggering for me. And, you know, obviously there was a little bit of alcohol involved. Mm-hmm. involved. Of course, of so I, I 
felt like the need to go to to social media and it was wild to see um my dms being bombarded by you know similar stories of people that have experienced similar things at this venue and it's like you know like i said without dissing this venue it's obviously just like just so deeply ingrained in the culture of this venue and condoned by this venue that they i don't just don't think they see or want to change which is incredibly sad because it's an awesome venue mm. it's a it's a it's a beautiful venue it's on darling harbor like you know multiple rooms like one of the rooms is like glass walls and you literally look out over darling harbor it's stunning absolutely stunning that's probably exactly why that they won't change because they know that they hold the monopoly over this like br- brilliant space and don't have any you know worthy competitors that they have to sort of like <laughs> try and fight for customers over yeah i mean like i said there's really not many spaces like it in sydney so uh, yeah maybe maybe that's the reason why they you know don't see any reason to change is because they know that people will come there anyway which is just incredibly sad Mm, it is sad well please um promise to me jack that when you become when you become a massive music industry mogul and uh have (laughs) the entire (laughs) australian scene in your hands that you won't forget us that you won't forget the common man absolutely my i am a common man so absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) see see this is the kind of person that we need to help us through um jack i do know that you have actually helped me through quite a lot and i do want to thank you for taking the time to come and have a chat with me tonight i've held you for a very very long time we've talked about a whole bunch of different shit but i do hope that you've had fun with me tonight always always it was nice to uh, i mean we've obviously spoken on these conversations before but you know so many internet pals and it's nice to actually you know have a proper connection and and friendship with these people Mm -hmm. hell yeah and you're obviously an awesome person man i appreciate the time Hey, look, I mean, that's just your opinion. So, <laughs> uh, you're the you're the only one I can say those sorts of jokes to. But, folks, thank you so so much for uh, tuning in for another week of spinning around. Yes, th- indeed, that was our final guest for tonight. But please. Do not be sad because we do have plenty more weeks ahead of us. We do have the rest of March and we do have a fantastic autumn season that I am thinking about rejigging and I don't really know what to do about it. I'm kind of getting overwhelmed, but hey, that's just what it is. People, thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, I love you all so much. You've been listening to Spinning Around with Hailey Minogue on Area 3000 playing Jack Ferris right now. Boom! <laughs>